Well, without further ado, let us open up the Word of God this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. We have been heading uh, through the book of 2 Timothy for four weeks. We're right in the middle. We have four more weeks. And uh, we're doing about a half a chapter a week. And the theme uh, of this book, of this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, we've coined keep calm and carry on. That, uh, that, that, that really, you know, trendy phrase that we all know. Um, but, but really, this is Paul's letter to Timothy to carry on the gospel. Young, timid, fearful, uh, prone to being shamed, Timothy. Paul is saying you need to carry on the work of the gospel. Paul, this being Paul's last letter, um, in prison, writing this to Timothy to carry on the gospel. Um, but why don't you read with me here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. It says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these." For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Yannis and Yambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress." For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Giannis' and Yambres' folly was also. Let's pray. God, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us. We have it in our hands right now. The God-breathed, God-inspired word. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that would anoint our time, that would give us understanding of what your word is saying. God, we we need you to do that. We need you to give us tremendous wisdom and insight of, of what your word is saying and what that means for our own lives. We know even though this was written some 2,000 years ago, that you've intended it for us today. That these truths and these precepts and these charges and these instructions and these imperatives and these challenges are for us that are in this room that live and do life in the coastlands, in the city of Santa Barbara, in Goleta, in Montecito. This is what you would have for us this morning. And we trust that you have us here for a purpose. This is not random. It's not coincidence. You desire to meet with us. And we all corporately just want to say yes and amen to all that you have and all that you are for us. So God, would you give us understanding to your word this morning? Pray you would anoint our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At a simple reading of this text, you might think, this is just really weird. This is just 
this te- this, these nine verses are just full of just evil and wickedness and debauchery and just what is happening here? And uh, part of that's true. Part of that, this, this, this is a glimpse and a picture in the human condition of the end times. And it, it's full of all those things. But, but there's more than that. There's more than that here we're going to unpack today and we're going to try to see in context what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. What Paul's doing here is he's continuing on in this letter. Right? It's a book for us. It's four chapters. But originally it was one letter written to Timothy. Last week, at the end of chapter 2, we, studied, we saw that Paul was equipping Timothy how to deal with false theology in, in the church and how to guard sound doctrine in his church. He continues now in chapter 3, uh, right here, to speak of the characteristics of the type of people Timothy will encounter that will come against the ministry the Lord has called him to. So last week, it was the content of their teaching that was dangerous to the church. Now it's their attitude and their characteristics. It's them as people that are dangerous. There was, as we saw last week, a real threat and danger to false teaching and false doctrine infiltrating the church. And if Timothy was not careful, these distortions of the gospel would, would not only upset some people's faith, but literally it was leading some astray, and they were falling away from the faith. It was a serious issue that Paul was instructing Timothy to deal with. But Paul, in this section, uh, is warning Timothy of the characteristics, traits, and lifestyles of the men and women that are not living according to the truth. Paul was pointing out that they were, what they were like, he was given a description of their lives so that Timothy would, be, would, would not be unaware. Paul starts this morning off with, realize this. Like, Timothy, let me get your attention. If, if, the two, if, if halfway through my letter you haven't paid attention, but realize this for a moment. Paul's trying to get Timothy's attention so that he is not unaware of what's happening. But more than that, it would seem that Paul is also attempting to protect Timothy. You know, Timothy, remember, is young. He's moldable. He's impressionable. And the fear is that too much time around these types of people will lead Timothy to adopt some of their own lifestyle and ungodly traits. Because we have to remember, this letter has alluded to, as other books that Paul has written, of the the fatherly figure that Paul is to Timothy, in the real sense of a word. I mean, I mean, I mean, Timothy to Paul is, is, is a spiritual son. Paul has, was used in his conversion. He's discipled him. He's taken him on his missionary's journey. Everything that Timothy would know about ministry, Paul has taught him. Discipleship has ha- happened on, on, on that level between Paul and Timothy. And it would seem that this seasoned saint and apostle Paul is speaking words of caution to his young son in the faith to beware. To beware of the effect that these people would have on him and what God would call him to do. If you're a parent, we do this all the time. 
with, with kids, right? We, 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 we try to protect them. We try to preserve them. Um, we, we try to, we're, we're careful about who they hang out with and what they do. And, you know, we, we, we try to get that balance right. We, we a lot of times might do it, do it too much or too little, and there's a detriment there, right? Oh, I'm just going to let my kid do anything they want all the time. Not going to be good. Or I'm going to exasperate them in such a way they have no freedom. I'm telling you, that's not going to work either. I lived through like almost 10 years of youth ministry, junior high and high school ministry. There's got to be a balance. I mean, there has got to be a balance, people. Uh, you got to throw the, the rule book out and just, okay. How do I love them? I mean, parenting is insane. I have a two-year-old and it's insane. For me, it's more of a safety issue now, right? So my daughter is two and a half years old, but she has, it feels like the energy, skills, and climbing level of a five-year-old. So she, no jokes, like if she was here, she, she, I don't know what she would be doing. Just gone or just climbing, jumping. So in, for me, at my point of, part of life right now is I'm more like a sheepdog to her, right? Just, just, you know, I'm the sheepdog. She's the sheep. I'm just trying to corral her in. Like walking down a sidewalk with my daughter takes so much energy. If she's not like in a stroller, she won't really, she won't actually go in a stroller. She doesn't do that. She just needs to walk. Hold hand, bike, something. She's just insane in a good way. Love her. But, um, but as parents, regardless of the age of your kids, we have this inherent sense where and it's a role to protect them and to love them and care for them in such a way um, that they're not influenced on a negative effect by those around them. We'll get to that in a second. But here's, here's, here's why I think that Paul is continuing to do this to Timothy. And it's, it's from the text. So let, me, let me break it down. I think Paul is, is describing or telling Timothy this in, in, in three, three different kind of parts. Number one is Paul is describing the setting that Timothy is in. That, that's what he's doing first. He's describing the setting, the, the time, um, and, and what's happening. Number two, he's described, he, he describes the people in that setting. Right? So he, he, the end times is the setting. The people, here's a description. Uh, there's actually 19 different characteristics of these people. Uh, Paul's describing the people in that setting. And number three, Paul narrows down a subset of those people. And he gives a little bit of example of what they're doing. So the setting, verse 1, says this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. The idea of the last days there is a broad term in the New Testament. It's used a lot. And it's what we would believe the last days to be are the, when, when the Messiah, Jesus, came on the picture until he comes back a second time. Those are the last days. I know, it's, it's everything from when Jesus... We're in the last days right now. Timothy was in the last days. We're all in the last days. And, you know, you don't have to trip out about that too much. Because at first it could be like, wait, Timothy's in the last days. But how can those be the last days if 2,000 years go on? That doesn't really make sense. Well, remember the Lord's timing. One day is 1,000 years. And 1,000 years is a day. Like, we're just so set on our timeline that we don't... You know, obviously we don't have the, the full picture. We're not God. But when it says that we are in the last days, those are the days that we can say that, that mark the, from, from everything from Jesus until he comes back. Those, those are the last days. So we are in the last days. Timothy was in the last days. Everything from Jesus went to, when he went to be with the Father until he comes back a second time. Those are the last days. 
Paul says, Timothy, in these last days, difficult times will come. Difficult times will come. And the crazy part is that Paul here uh, isn't, he doesn't say anything but the people in those days. You know, if we were, if, if we were going to describe, you know, what is it going to be like at the end of the world? You know, if someone asked that. Like, what is it like in our world today, right? The last day, like, what's happening? We would describe the people in the world, but then we would describe natural disasters. We would describe wars. We would just describe everything that's going on. And probably a reason for that is that's just what we think will happen, right? When the end of the, you know, that's what we think will happen when the end of the world comes. But also Jesus told us. Jesus told us what it would look like uh, in the last days. He describes it. He describes it to his disciples in Matthew 24, verses 3 through 12. It says this, Jesus speaking. And he, Jesus, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming? Like, when are you coming back? What's it going to look like? How can we know? And the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead you, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and of rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened. For those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. If you read that... And you, and you know anything about anything that's happening in our world today, you could say we're in the last days. This is happening. I mean, earthquakes, famines, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. This is happening. And, and, and what we learned about last week, Paul, this, is, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Exactly what Jesus said. False teachers and false prophets and many will be led astray. Exactly what we see here in the book of 2 Timothy is happening. But the real problem, as you can guess, as much as there will be more natural disasters and those are, are horrific, the real problem, as you can guess, is the people living in our world that's bringing upon the most horrific devastation. Look at the statistics. Look at the facts of how many deaths there's been from the hand of another man in any way, any, any, anything. Wars, abortion, anything. Far outweighs any natural disaster there's ever been, ever. I mean, you guys know that. I, I, you, you can't escape it. Phone, news, everything. There's so much evil. There's so much horrible stuff going on in this world today. And Paul is, is, is telling this to Timothy. Timothy, you're in the last days. Difficult times will come. This is what the last days are going to look like. And Paul says, the way in which you know for sure that you're in the last days are, are what the people look like. 
if the people are doing these types of things, you're in the last days and you should be careful and warned and be on guard. And he he goes into this, verses 2 through 5 of our text this morning. Paul describes these people. Realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come, and there will be, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, lovers, rather than lovers of self, a God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. This is really, in, in this text this morning, this is the only charge that he gives Paul. I'm Excuse me, Paul gives Timothy. And th- this would be the warning. This, this would be Paul's warning or Paul's charge in this sent, set of texts. It would be keep your eyes open and do not be unaware of those around you. He goes on and he describes the human condition in the last days. And what I see here is I see fatherly Paul breaking the news to his young, possibly naive son Timothy that the world is a lot worse than he probably knows. And one way or another, you know, unfortunately, we all have to do that with our kids, right? The world's around us and we have to coach them and disciple them and, and, and tell them why people are doing things that they're doing. And if you've ever done this to someone of a young age, you, you can see their countenance drop to be like, are you serious? This is, this is really happening? And, you know, it's almost when, like, some, a really innocent kid finds out that there's evil in the world and, and what that has made and, and what people do to each other because of that. And what, what Paul is really doing here is he's doing that to Timothy. Timothy, this world's actually really, really, really bad that you live in. The people around you, a lot of them are because of the effects of sin and, and, and because they're, they're, they're held captive by the will of Satan. I mean, they're filled with so much horrific evil that you probably cannot believe it. I'm sure many of us would, would feel the same as we watch the news and we see what happened here and we see how often things happen. and It's horrible. But Paul, he... he he describes here what those walking, what those not walking according to the truth, what their lives look like. For those that are not following Christ, especially those that are opposing the truth, here's what they'll look like, Timothy. Don't be unaware. Don't be naive. Almost like don't. Don't think this world is, is better than it is. Like, take it at, know what you're encountering. Know what's around you. Understand the type of people that are in your midst, or in his case, in your church, or trying to enter into your church, or trying to mess with your church, or trying to mess with you. Paul saying, Timothy, don't be unaware. This is what's happening. And, you know, there's, there's 19 different things that Paul says here. I mean, he really covers the gamut here. And a lot of them are, are pretty self-explanatory. Lovers of self. Yeah. That's what sin is. Selfish, independent nature. We love ourself more than God, more than others. Lovers of money. You know, 
money is not a bad thing. The love of money is. Money is, is actually a gift from God for, for our lives to be used for his glory and the furthering of his kingdom and, and, and to bless us. Money is a bad thing. The love of money is boastful, arrogant, revilers, meaning uh, blasphemers of God or slanderer of others. In the last days, people will be disobedient to parents. That's happening. That happens. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. That means unforgiving. Malicious gossips, just just gossiping, without self-control. Brutal. Haters of good, treacherous, meaning betraying others or betraying causes. In the last days, people will be reckless or rash, be conceited, be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds about right. And then holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What that means is that there are those that are faking an outward appearance of following God, but their hearts are far from him. This is superficial religion. Jesus would call some of the Sadducees and Pharisees whitewashed tombs. You're dead on the inside. You're a tomb, but you look pretty on the outside. In the book of Titus... It says that, that, describing these type of people, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. That's the type of people that Paul is referring to here. This is this list of characteristics that men and women will be like in the last days. Before we get into the charge of avoid such men as these, on a side note, As we were reading these, if any of these characteristics characterized you in any way, you need to take heed of that this morning. And what we do need to do is we need to turn to Christ. Because these characteristics, remember, are men and women that are not following Christ. They're not redeemed. They've not been saved. They've not been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of their beloved son. They're not sanctified. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit is not in them. He's not transforming them into the image of God. And so their lives look like this. But as Christians, we are called into a covenant with our God To look like him, to be image bearers, to be little Christs, to to live for Christ in word and in deed, in all that Christ was we are to be. And these things are not to characterize our lives. And so if if you didn't hear maybe the start of this, you, you actually do not want these things. You do not want this. Don't think like, wow, okay, yeah. Because usually it's like the positive part of a sermon. Hey, line your side up here. Where are you lacking? No, it's like, don't be any of these. This, these things are not to characterize the life of a believer of Jesus Christ. All that said, though, 
All of us are works in progress. This side of heaven, we will never be perfect. We are still living in a fallen world. We're still, you know, fighting the, the evil one, Satan, the flesh. We're plagued with, with, with temptation. But, so we're works in progress. And if I'm honest, at times... And in some ways, these things have or do describe me. Not all of them. Grown, God's rescued me, God's helped me, God's given me the strength not to. But, if any of these in any way still plague us, including myself, because I just admitted it to you. And I think if we're really honest, if we just look maybe at one of them. Verse 18. Lover, I mean, excuse me. Number 18, I have it on my, no, it's number 18. But lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That, that, can, that, can, that can be so subtle and that can be so, you know, that can be anything other than God. Anything that you love more to God, that's what he's talking about. And that can sneak in so many different ways. But if any of these plague us in any, any way, even though that's, that's not even the context here, but just as a side note, if any of them plague us, we need to turn to Christ and ask for repentance. Say, God, free me of this. I know that you have not made me to be like this. You do not desire it from me. This is an effect of sin. This is not God-honoring and God-glorifying behavior. Free me and make me more like you. So most likely, maybe not, but most likely, all of us are in one way or another. We read this and we go, oh man, I think that's me. Oh man, I struggle with that. I mean, I just did that this morning. Or even as I'm sitting here, I'm just thinking how, how awesome I am. I'm just being boastful and arrogant right now. And maybe you're being spiritually boastful and arrogant, saying, I'm good. But it would seem like when Paul lists a list of 19 different things, then one way or another we're, 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 we're struggling or, or we fall into that. That is why we have a second set of musical worship. Because the word prepares our heart to then come to the Lord and say, God, help me, free me, I repent, I want to turn from that and be more like you. Give me the strength no longer to be tempted to do those things. I will say this, the second set of worship, is, it's totally okay because I speak for a long time, go to the bathroom. But just come back though. But is it, oh, I'm talking to people too. Just come back. Lunch can wait a little longer. Errands, you have all day. I, I am totally going off topic. And I, I, want, I just want to tell you, the second set of worship is not just a filler. It's not just like a back end or like we should worship after the word. It just seems right. It's like what the church does. That is not why we do it. We don't just frivolously do it. I talk with the worship leader during the week. We pray over what God would do at the end of the sermon in your hearts. We pray over the songs. We pray many times over that 20, 30 minute time that God would meet us and do heart work and we would leave changed. If you have to go, please don't think I'm, don't, don't feel bad today. Because I don't want you to be like, oh my gosh, I can't go now. But I, I do want us to give a greater priority to that second set of worship because 
all of us need to do some business with Jesus today. I'm going to say that. And that's, that, that's what I'm going to say. Coming back, coming back now, Paul's point in all of this is the end of verse 5. Avoid such men as these. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. He, he's gave us the setting. He's gave us the description of the people. And this is what he says. He just says, avoid them. And there's no, there's no like, that, that's what he means. That's what he means. Just avoid these type of people. But in some senses, this would seem counterintuitive to what Paul has been telling Timothy the whole time. What do you mean by that? Because if we read that list, that we might, some of us might be like, I need to avoid myself. I literally need to avoid myself and everyone on the planet. And that, that would be a literal, literal, actual meaning of that. Because, you know, if you read that, you're like, okay, I'm reading a list of the characteristics of a sinner. That, that, that's, that's what I'm reading. So if I'm Timothy reading this, if I'm us reading this, I'm like, what does that mean? Avoid everyone that's like this? Aren't we all sinners? Don't, isn't this characteristics of sinners? Isn't Paul called to minister? Paul, Paul, haven't you called me to minister and evangelize to these types of people? Don't these types of people need Jesus the most? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes to those. Yes, it's describing sinners. Yes, Paul has told Timothy to, to, to minister to these people. And, and yes, these people need Jesus the most. So, so what, is, what is Paul saying then? Well, the nuance that, that I believe in context that Paul is saying. I don't think Paul is saying, have nothing to do ever with anyone that's like this. <laughs> that's just not what he's saying. Timothy couldn't hang out with himself, let alone his friends, let alone his church, let alone his other elders of the church, let alone Paul. Paul's not perfect. Jesus is perfect. Nobody's perfect except Jesus. <laughs> but, here, but here's the question I have. As a parent, oh, excuse me, I'm going back. Hold on, hold on. This is what I do believe Paul's saying. The nuance here is, is Paul is concerned about how much time he spends with these people and what the effect they will have on him. Because Paul is not telling Timothy, do not do any more ministry. Paul's saying, be careful about how much time you spend with them and what effect they'll have on you. I'm going to ask another parent question. As a parent, if you're a parent in this room, why are you concerned about what friends your kid hangs out with? It's rhetorical. You don't have to yell it out right now. Oh, if you're not a parent, uh, well, why did your parents get on your case all the time for who you're hanging out with? Other than a safety issue. You know, other than just like they're worried about your physical safety, like I am with my two-year-old daughter running into the street right now. But why as a parent, or why do your parents care about who you're hanging out with? Well, kind of obvious, but there's a real worry and a truth to that worry that you are affected by who you hang out with, especially when you're young. You are shaped by those around you. At an early age, when you're immature and you're moldable and you're impressionable, your environment very much shapes you. I don't think I have to convince any of us of that. And it doesn't just happen when we're young. It happens now. 
We are shaped by our environment. We might be stronger. We might be have you know, stronger convictions now. We might have more wisdom and discernment. We might have um, the ability to know right and wrong. But especially your kids, and when your kids are young, they don't have those things. And so we as parents do much care about who you're hanging out with because you're going to be shaped by them in one way or another, most likely. And we as parents, those of us are parents, or your parents, so badly want our kids to be surrounded by good people because our kids are so impressionable, right? That's why we do it. For Timothy, even though he wasn't new to the faith, he just didn't get, you know, he wasn't a new believer. He didn't get saved like yesterday or a year ago. It had been, you know, 10, 15 years. But, but Timothy was a greenhorn in ministry in a lot of ways. See, Timothy always had the covering of Paul, and that's a nice covering to have. If I get in trouble, if I have a problem, I'm just calling Paul the apostle. That's a, if you're in ministry, if you can get the picture of it, I mean, this is, right? You have people that are having, you know, giving you trouble in church. Um, if you don't get, right, I'm going to call Paul. Paul's going to come in. He'll just deal with you. I'm sure, I'm sure Timothy was threatening people with that. I'm not sure. But I would be. I would be. But here's the deal. Paul's dying. Paul's in prison, awaiting his death. Some say weeks from this time, he is killed for his faith. Timothy's in Ephesus, no covering, no dad, no spiritual father on his own. And Timothy is encountering heavy, difficult, and drama people. I mean, he is being sent to the wolves here. He is going through the fire. And I believe Paul's concern here is for Timothy is to not be stained or swayed negatively towards these attitudes or traits as many around him were. Many were falling to the wayside. Talked about that last week. People did not have sound doctrine. They were believing lies. They were falling away from the faith. It's it's the real deal for Timothy. But I believe Paul's concern is about Timothy as a man, his heart, his characteristics, his traits, who he is in Christ. It's the same idea that Paul wrote the Corinthian church in his first letter, his first of two letters to the Corinthian church, first, uh, excuse me, Corinthians 15, 33. Paul said this, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You might Love Jesus, you might have strong convictions, but if you continually and only surround yourself with bad company, it will negatively affect you regardless of who you are. And we as believers are to live in this state of tension, or better yet, in this concept that all of us probably know as believers, that we're to be in the world and not of it. Right? There's this, this, this idea that we as believers are to be in the world and not of it. We get this from John 17 uh, in what we call Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 14 through 17 is what we call Jesus' farewell discourse. John 17, we see his, his longest prayer. Jesus' longest prayer recorded in the gospel. And he's speaking uh, after the Last Supper, the night before the cross, And he prays to the Father on behalf of his disciples. He prays to the Father on behalf of us, his his followers, uh, Christians. And he says this, John 17, verses 13 through 19, Jesus praying. 
But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." And Jesus, speaking to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, and they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus here is bringing up this concept of that this side of heaven, we, we are present in this world. We're here. We're not there yet. See, Jesus, after he died and rose again, he ascended to the Father. But we, we are left here. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he gave us himself to, so that we could live for him. But nonetheless, we're here. And he says, we're in the world. And we're still supposed to tell the world about him. But we're not supposed to let the world affect us. That's what he's saying. What does that, what does that mean, though? Well, that same truth applies to us. In, in, in an ideal world, all of us have a balance, and this is what I mean. There's a sense that your environment is your environment. You work where you work right now. Your family is your family. And in those environments and in those communities, there's believers and there's non-believers. Some of us naturally just have a, a good balance, so to speak. Some of us don't. Some of us literally don't know any Christians other than like we think some of us are Christians in this room because we come to church alone and yeah, I think, I think Christians go to church. But some of us are just like, we are in it. We are not around believers. We are not around Christians. Some of us maybe don't even know a non-believer, right? We're so surrounded by Christians that we're just in our bubble and we literally are just we're just around Christians at every facet, and, and, and our lives have been surrounded so much that we're just all around Christians. There's negatives to both. If you are only around non-believers all the time, every day, and everyone in your life, and your counsel, and your friends, and your family, and your work, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your faith, regardless of who you are. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. But if you're only in the Christian bubble— If you're only in the bubble, then you are not heeding the word of God to evangelize lost. How are you salt and light? Everyone else has salt and light. How are we we sharing the good news of Jesus Christ if everyone already knows the good news of Christ? I think perfectly, a perfect situation, you have a mix of both. I think you you, you absolutely do. God has called us to be in the world, not just escape the world and be like, no, I'm just going to think of heaven and surround myself with Christians and I'm just going to let the world burn and just, it's just I'm just going to run to the hills. Let it go down. No. But then it isn't wise also to not be mindful of everyone around us and the effect they have if you don't have any Christians around you. Again, this may be more natural or easier to have this balance. For some of you, I know it's like, how do I even, 
How do I even get Christians in my life? And I understand that that's not just, you know, you can't just go befriend people and change your job and save your family. And I get that. But here's maybe a better question to ask. How is our, envi- excuse me, how is our environment, the people around us, affecting or shaping us? Let's ask, let's ask that question. Because you might be like, man, there's nothing happening, or I'm not being negatively affected. But the question you need to ask yourself, if you, if you, to know if you have a right balance or not, is how is our environment, the people around us, affecting or shaping us? Because the word this morning would be just be careful, be aware. For Timothy, he was so susceptible, he was so impressionable and moldable that Paul said, Timothy, you just can't even hang out with these people for like more than just tell them about Jesus. Like you need to tell them about Jesus and get out. And there's seasons of our life that that, that maybe is true. That we just are just, we're, you know, we just, we're just not strong in the faith and we're just very easily just believing things. And you just need to surround yourself with probably more believers than I'm telling you. But nonetheless, Paul goes on. And here's where it gets just, just really evil, honestly. He gives an example of a subset of really bad people. Okay, he gives an example of a subset of really bad people. Verses six through eight. Read it with me. For among these people, the people he just described, are those who enter into households and they captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Yannis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. Here's what's happening. Men, as previously described, those that don't know the Lord, are taking advantage of women that are vulnerable and not strong. There's no, you know, other than example, there's no particular reason why this is women here. You can interchange it with with men. Paul just used this example. But in this case, these women are, it would seem, are in sin. They know the truth in their heads, but they've not believed it. And the evil part here is that there's men that are preying on their weaknesses and they're leading them astray and taking advantage of them. This is, this is really wicked and really perverse. Unfortunately, it happens in our world today in many different ways. But Paul's saying, I mean, Timothy, there's, there's, there's people, that they look like this, but, but let me just give you some, a little bit of insight of, of, of the evil that's happening. Again, Paul telling young Timothy, kind of just trying to open his eyes to really the evil in the world. Hey, Timothy, don't be naive. This, this is the truth. You can't, you can't be in your bubble anymore. You can't escape this. You need, to, you need to avoid this if it's affecting you. But you need to be aware of this because you're a man that needs to fight against evil with the truth. Right? You see that balance that Paul is trying to give Timothy right now? Again, though, he names, he, he, he names these guys. And he's done this in each chapter. And we've kind of made a joke about it in that if Paul is highlighting your name in Scripture in a negative way, it's not a good thing. Right? It's in Scripture. It's just God-breathing, God-inspired. Your name's in it, and you are the bad guy. This is... Paul does this. He, he, in chapter 1, he describes uh, two guys that were ashamed of Paul. In chapter 2, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were false teachers. Chapter 3 here, Giannis and Yambres, they're evil men. He, 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 he's teaching Timothy. He's, he's, he's reminding Timothy. He's putting faces to these things that are happening. Paul's, Paul's discipling. He's teaching Timothy. 
But then we need to understand, so that's what's happening. But then Paul describes these men, and he says, these guys are just like these other guys that opposed Moses. These guys, Giannis and Yambris. Though they're not named in the Exodus account, the historical evidence would put that these two men, Giannis and Yambris, were the Egyptian magicians, excuse me, magicians, Egyptian magicians, that's a hard thing to say. Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses before Pharaoh. You guys know the story? So, so even though we don't have the evidence, the historical evidence would say that these two guys that Paul is referring to here were, were the, the, the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses before Pharaoh. And if you don't remember what happened, it's these magicians were, were actually really able to work miracles, not just, you know, parlor tricks, but, but, but by the power of darkness— not by the power of God. When Moses cast down his rod and it turned it into a serpent, Giannis and Yambres could do the same. When he turned water into blood, they could do the same. When Moses brought forth a plague of frogs, Giannis and Yambres could do the same. Yet eventually, they could not match God miracle for miracle, and their occult powers were shown to be inferior to God's power. But it's a big deal that Paul is referring to this because those are really powerful magicians. If you read the book of Exodus, you're like, wait, these guys are like matching God's miracles. And it's not only to the end, obviously, that we see that God is bigger and he's better and it, he puts them to shame. But Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, there's evil men. The evil men are going and captivating weak women. and They're doing some really horrific things. They're just like Moses. Uh, th those guys that oppose Moses, they're, they're opposing the truth. They're strong. They're powerful. They're, they're instruments in the enemy's hands. I mean, this is a big deal, Paul. And you kind of feel like, you know, for Timothy, it would seem kind of bleak and weird and evil. And like, almost like, Paul, what are you telling me? You're... This just seems bad. Why are you telling me these things? But Paul reminds Timothy that there's hope. And I believe this is what Paul does in verse 9. Verse 9 says, But they will not make further progress for their folly, and it will be obvious to all, just as Giannis and Yambra's folly was also. Paul is telling Timothy that there is a limit and an end to the evil that's in this world. And that is a truth for us today. Stuff like this, everything that's around us has a limit. Because, you know, God's still in control. Do, you, do we know that, church? Sometimes I think we forget that when we see so much going around us. We're like, how could God still be involved? How can he still be in control? Well, church, he is. It's because evil has a limit because it's already been defeated. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin, death, and the devil, rendering those things defeated. God is still in control of everything that happens, and he does allow things to happen. But he can stop them at any moment. And we know from the word of God that Jesus is coming back to restore all things. And one day, he will right every wrong, and he'll wipe away every tear. And the evil that we see today has an expiration date. 
It will not go on forever. It will not have the victory. It will not have the final word. Jesus Christ has already had the final word. Amen? And even though, Timothy, Giannis and Yambres matched Moses miracle for miracle, eventually they were compelled to give reluctant glory to God, and so will the evil men of this day. And even, even as Giannis and Yambres' power had limits, so does Satan's power. Even in these last days, God is still in control. And what that should do for us, as it did young Timothy, is give us hope. That there is hope that one day it will all end. That one day we won't speak of these atrocities. That one day Jesus will come back and rule and reign and set every wrong right. In the midst of this great darkness that Paul is speaking about, there is great hope and there is great light. And it's because of Jesus Christ. See, the spirit of the last days is not stronger than the spirit of Jesus and the power of Jesus. The glorious truth is that we don't have to be bound by the spirit of our times. We don't have to be slaves to self. There is hope. There is triumphant hope in Jesus Christ. And what I hope you can see here in the text is that Paul is trying to instruct Timothy of how he is ought to live in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. Right? It's, it's all about balance here. It's all about balance here. Timothy, you need to minister and you need to be with those people, but you can't be with them too much so they'll affect you, so you need to have a balance. You need to step back. But Timothy, there's hope. There's hope that one day it will be restored. So, so Timothy, be hopeful, but still do the work of the ministry. My hope and goal for us this morning is that we can look at this text and have a greater of an understanding or reminder of how we're to live in the midst of difficult times in these last days. My hope is that we're not unaware of the times we live in or the dangers around us. That would, that would be one thing this morning. It would also be that we would strive to be witnesses and not be stained or influenced by the world. To have that right balance, to be used by God around those that don't know him, but not too much in that we are negatively affected and become like them. And also, my prayer and my hope this morning is that we would always have and cling to our hope in Christ. Right? That we, that in light of everything that's happening, that we as believers would not only hold on to the hope of Christ, but bring the hope of Christ to those in these difficult times. Because church, we are the bearers of our hope in Christ. We are the bearers of this joy that God gives us. And we are called to be in it. I mean, we're called to be right in the thick of it, but not allow it to affect us. Because it is true that this is not our home. That heaven's our home. Right? Our life is but a vapor. It's here for a moment and gone the next. This is our time here. This is not our home, but we're here. We're, we're in the world, but not of it. 
I want to leave you with this verse out of Titus chapter 2 as we go into our time of worship. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Let that be us, church. Let that be said about us. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control, that you are King Jesus, that you are seated on the throne, and that you hold all things in the palm of your hands. And thank you, Lord, that as believers, that we share in that hope and in those truths. But Lord, you have strategically placed us in the environments that we have for reason. And that reason being that we might declare the goodness of Christ to those that are in need of it. But Lord, let us not be unaware of the effect that this world uh, that, that can take a toll on us. And so help us to have wisdom and discernment of how to be in the world and not of it. And have that balance. We ask that as we leave this place now. That as we go forth after worship, after church, after we leave these doors, as we go to work, as we, as we spend time with our families, as we answer those emails, as we enjoy friendships and, and do, do sports and everything, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would empower us to be in those things, but not of those things, Lord. Help us to be your ambassadors and your witnesses in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And Lord, if any of these traits are in us, we pray that you would take these things and make us like you. That you would replace these characteristics and give us your heart and, your, and the fruit of the Spirit and, and your character, Lord. We want to be like you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.